ready to explore the extraordinary world of tech. Welcome to the XTech Podcast, where we connect you with the sharpest minds and leading voices in the global tech community. Join us as we cut through the complexity to give you a clear picture of the ideas, innovations, and insight that are shaping our future. Hello and welcome to XTech. I'm Ben Fox, co-founder of Fox Agency and the guest host of this introductory episode of our all-new XTech podcast. Today, I'm joined by Debbie Forster, MBE, the CEO at Tech Talent Charter. Debbie is an advocate and campaigner for diversity, inclusion, and innovation in the tech industry and the host of the XTech podcast. In this episode, Debbie and I will be discussing her career to date exploring the current and future state of tech and much more. Debbie Forster, welcome to XTech. Thanks, Ben. Lovely to have you here. You've got a fascinating story. Growing up in Texas, moving to the UK, a career in teaching, operating at the highest levels of UK and international tech scene, organizations of all shapes and sizes. Tell us about it. Oh, so it's a mad journey, isn't it? Um, and I'd love to pretend it was all strategic, but it, it has just been a, an adventure of, oh, that sounds interesting. Let's do this. So I, I grew up all over the Southwest. Um, my father had a construction company. So we lived in about seven or eight states out in the Southwest of the US. And while I was at university, I qualified for a scholarship to come and work on my master's degree in Leeds. So I went from Texas to Yorkshire, which is not as far and strange a journey as you might think. There was a lot more. <laughs> in common than I had expected. And, you know, while I was up at Leeds working on my master's degree, that's when they were screaming for teachers the first time back in in the 90s, early 90s. So I took a job at a boys' grammar school and went into education. Was in education for 20 years and during that time, if you think back in the the 90s and the 2000s, um, if you were in education and you knew how to use a computer, you pretty quickly found yourself in charge of tech. You were head of IT, you were head of all things tech, right? (laughs) Exactly. Well, it was, oh, you know how to use the computer. So, okay. I can remember my brother, when I told him I'd been made the head of, of technology, his, his supportive comment was, and what did the monkey die of? <laughs> so, so I, you know, I can remember grappling with, with the, you know, the millennium bug, if you remember back in yeah. those days. The world was going to end, right? The world was going Absolutely. to end. Well, the computers certainly were. Yeah. All right. So, and, you know, roll forward, I think through it. Tech, I'm one of those people, like a lot of people, a lot of women in tech in particular, I didn't get into tech because I fell in love with tech. I became really interested and fascinated by what it could do. So when I was in education, it was new then, and I loved what it did for my students. I loved watching the lights go on and change their learning in that point. And because, you know, I didn't just work in grammar schools, I worked in more challenging schools. I loved that tech opened the doors to careers that a lot of my kids would never have thought of. So went through education, became a head teacher and enjoyed doing that. But you'll find there's a restlessness I have. Once I've done something for three to five years or think I've figured it out, another thing grabs my attention. So while I was in being a head teacher, deputy head teacher, then a head teacher, started noticing the boys were pushing forward to the computers and the girls were sort of getting edged out. I heard of a program called Computer Club for Girls. 
And I was one of those daft head teachers that said, well, let's try this. We launched, I was one of the first schools to start doing that. And in that, found myself getting pulled into conversations where I was talking to policymakers and I was talking to big companies about how do we get young people in tech. So while I was a head teacher, had been a head teacher for five years, got the invite, why don't you come help us work with policymakers and, and, and business? I did that for two years, discovered policies fun, but I like getting my hands dirty. The way I found that I could get my hands dirty was there was a not-for-profit called Apps for Good that I'd heard about. And I love the idea. It was, you know, taking a group of young people, teaching them skills and then letting them choose any problem or issue that they cared about and then teach them that tech and entrepreneurial journey from problem to prototype to market. And I love that. So I sat down with the founder at the time and said, I think you've got a great idea. I think you're thinking about how you want to get into schools. I still speak fluent educationese. Um, <laughs> let me, let me help. I, she said, yes, I quit my job and then had an, Oh dear God, you've only done this in two schools. Uh, so I got in my car. I got onto social media back then. Twitter was new and edgy and interesting teachers were there. And we grew that from doing something in, in two schools just in London. Five years later, we'd done that with 75,000 young people. And we had pilots in Spain and Portugal and the US and loved that. So, you know, did that for five years. You're going to start noticing a pattern of five years. And, you know, when we were doing that, the model was based on we were going into schools, kids from 10 to 18, but we used experts from tech as volunteers. Now, 50% of our students were girls and 40% of our expert volunteers were women in tech. Now, if you know anything about tech, you never hear 40% and 50%. So I found myself getting pulled into discussions about diversity in tech and the fact there wasn't any. I was just exiting um, running apps for good in a moment of insanity or genius, depending on what day you ask me. I was part of a founding group that had been starting the Tech Talent Charter to drive diversity and inclusion in tech. And so I was setting up portfolio career, said, all right, I'll put it in the middle of my desk for a while because we'd all been doing it on top of our day job and you can't get far doing that. That was 2017 and that has exploded in a good way. And so five years on running the charter, still keep a little bit of my, my hand in with some education things, still keeping my hand in with social entrepreneurs, but Tech Talent Charter has very firmly sat in the middle of my desk, but we're about 730 companies now. So that's grown as well. So that's my mad, mad journey. It's a fascinating story. It's a great story. It's a great story. But scary. It's, it's sometimes a horror story, sometimes a comedy, but yeah, an interesting story. Always. Well, a, a few, um, you know, world-changing events along the way there as well that have no doubt accelerated things, changed things, but we'll come back. I want to talk about the TTC, the Tech Talent Charter, further in a second, but let's just go back to Apps for Good. I think it's a great story. I mean, bringing opportunity around technology and apps to 75,000 young people. What did you learn during that experience? Ah, lots of things. I think the first thing that we really learned was a way to try and reach young people when we talk about tech. 
And the first thing is that you don't start by talking about tech. We need to remember the more we are talking to young people, tech is ubiquitous and they don't even understand that term. You know, and and for us to say, would you like a career in tech is to previous generations, would you like a a career in electricity? You know, that what does that mean? Tech is everything. And by starting with the idea, the simple one of what do you care about? What are you passionate about? What are the problems that matter to you as a young person? And showing them stories, showing them ways that tech can be used as a tool and showing the how. Once young people can own the why, they'll do all manner of things, however difficult to learn the how. And so it was realizing that once we set them free in that sense of you choosing the problem issue, that you're not going to study it because we told you it's important and you're not going to do it because we've told you theoretically how, you start with the why, the lights go on, and then you know, then you just try and get out of the way to let them figure those things out. And I think, you know, the other thing is that powerful partnership where industry can lean in to work alongside teachers. I think too often we position it of schools are bad guys not doing this, et cetera. They're keen, they're busy, and they're trying to keep up with a field that we can barely do when it's our full-time job. Mm -hmm. I'm obsessive about connecting the dots, not reinventing the wheel. So where you can bring together those partnerships of companies and tech professionals with passionate teachers, with young people, that's powerful. So it's still going on, you know, and, and I love hearing about how it goes from strength to strength. You know, they're really focusing. And I think for young people, there's a lot of passion around the environment. So, so apps for good is still out there, still pioneering new ways because young people are hungry to try and learn about how they can use tech to solve problems. I'm assuming through through the challenges and the solutions that they found that you you experienced during your time at Apps for Good, they bring a unique perspective to things as well. That yeah. perhaps older people, grown ups, adults, whatever you want to call them, don't necessarily have those perspectives, right? Absolutely. I, I mean, I loved watching because when we would teach teachers how to deliver it, we'd make them do the course, as it were. And I remember one real contrast was both the teachers and the kids would often want to look at the problem of bullying and watching the really different response because teachers were immediately about, and how do you get adults in to come in and fix this for kids? Whereas kids were very much, how can we, you know, how can we help us find out how to do these things? And so, but that's, that's true of tech. The best solutions come from people who live in and experience the problem, the situation, the issue. And, you know, we had kids coming up with apps on how to help you not sleep through your alarm. (laughs) I loved one app that was about if you are LGBTQI+, how can you find out things on your app in a safe way. And one of the things I thought was really clever the way they did it is they came up with an icon because initially when people were trying to help them, they were coming up with very LGBTQI class icons. And the kids are immediately saying, absolutely not. Because if you're a teenager, somebody will always pick up your phone in a way that we don't as adults. And so they said, you know, you have to, everything about this has to allow it to be undercover to protect the privacy. And so it is that it's when we let people really know the problem, start with the problem, not the tech, you get 
the real innovation, the really interesting ideas. And we had everything. We had cattle, we had sleeping through alarms, we had getting home safely. And that's why we had such support from experts because they would come away so buzzed about how the young people would think and approach problems in such a different way. Well, they were approaching, great examples there, approaching real life problems or challenges that they face in their own lives, right? So it's it's relevant Absolutely. to them. It's not imposed on Absolutely. them from above by adults, etc. So great examples. So I just want to flash forward a couple of years, a few years, 2017. Yeah, 2017 was a big year for you. Well, a big year anyway, and we'll come back to that in a second. 2017 awarded an MBE for services to digital technology and tech development. Tell us about that experience. I was mad. Um, it was in my last year at Apps for Good. These sorts of things, you know, I, anyone that has experienced this, it comes from nowhere. So um, a letter came in to my house and my partner called me and said, why is Buckingham Palace sending you a letter? <laughs> Everyday occurrence, right? Well, you know, me and Liz used to really chat. We were pen pals for a long time. It was it was an incredible honor, but I have to say when my partner first opened it and sort of said, go down, you know, go somewhere privately so I can tell you this because you're supposed to keep it top secret. I thought it was a practical joke, Ben. I literally thought, no, no, turn it over. Really, no, who's it from? What is this hilarious joke, but who did it? So it came really from nowhere. And then, you know, the pomp and circumstance around it. I loved that bit where you're waiting to go out and you're talking to other people and just amazing people from every walk of life, incredibly humbling, hearing all the stories in the room as you're waiting, faintly terrified to go in and and to think, try not to fall over when you curtsy. Because bluntly, where I grew up out in Texas and Arizona and New Mexico, we didn't learn how to curtsy. (laughs) Not a big thing on the curriculum. No. Yeah. So, so incredible honor. And, you know, but for me, but I think also for all of us at Apps for Good, it was that sort of nod that we had made a difference in, in terms of, of opening doors. You've had numerous accolades over the years since then as well, or pr- prior to that and since as well. But I said that 2017 was a big year because that's, that's when I believe discussions around setting up or founding what has become the Tech Talent Charter, TTC, happened. So, so just prior to that, in my last years at Apps for Good, as I said, I've been pulled into these discussions. And again, I think you'll notice I'm not the great founder. I'm not necessarily the person who has the great idea. I'm really clear. I'm the person who can say, my God, that's a great idea. We can make it work. So someone called Sinead Bunting had the idea about the Tech Talent Charter, had written it and gathered a few of us together. And there may have been some glasses of wine in discussing it Mm -hmm. and really wanted to, you know, let's stop just sitting around and thinking someone should do something about diversity and inclusion. Let's do something. And I was one of the ones that just said, if I have to go to one more roundtable event on why there's no women in tech, my head's going to explode. I'm so sick of talking about the problem when there's solutions out there. And I'm so tired of going to another big corporate event where people have spent thousands of pounds and hours and, and energy to reinvent the same damn wheel that the company around the corner. So as long as we're not going to do that, Let's, let's, let's figure something out. And so the birth of the Tech Talent Charter was sort of 2015, 2016. But it was a group of us doing this on top of the day job. But there were 17 amazing companies who were sort of there with us all along the way and doing that proof of concept. So, you know, a startup. 2017 came along. You know, I had just left Apps for Good, had been talking to Amali Doalwis about this and saying, well, okay, I'll just, while I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do next, I'll lean in. 
So that was 2017. 2017 was Harvey Weinstein, hashtag Me Too, and gender pay reporting. So from the perspective of tech and industry and gender equality, etc., cetera, a, a crisis. I love Churchill's Never Waste a Good Crisis. So when there were a whole lot of woke and terrified tech companies, because, you know, they could not get women into tech for love and money, we could lean in. So we made sure we were in the right rooms. Uh, government asked to see us. A few of us had put together for this meeting with government, you know, a proposal. They gave us some seed funding. That was March of 2017. And we started. And by Christmas, we had 100 companies. By the following year, we had 250. And, you know, throughout this, we've never wasted a good crisis. When COVID was coming in, we could be talking about, and this is what you can do as people are losing jobs. This is how you can use retraining to get people into jobs. So I don't want crises, but when it happens, we, we do our damnedest to, to be there and figure out how do we use that as the next wave to push things forward. I love that. I think it's great, the whole never waste a good crisis perspective. And it's true though, isn't it, right? It's, Absolutely. It creates the opportunity as much as anything. And it, it cuts through the noise. It cuts through and clarifies what's important and these are the actions. And, and I think, you know, also for inclusion and diversity and anything around this social space, whatever people's good intentions are in business, good intentions and just doing the right thing never gets past Q2 unless it also solves a business problem. So whenever we've positioned things, whether it was Ups for Good, now with Tech Talent Charter, we position it as this is social justice. Yes, of course, but it solves a business problem. And if you can show how this solves a business problem, companies will lean into that from Q1 to Q4. Quick question. Is it diversity and inclusion or inclusion and diversity? Oh, well, there you go. And my team are always trying to get me. Because there's also, (laughs) is it EDI? And I think what's interesting is quite often we will say diversity and inclusion because that is what, if you're early in journey, that's where you start. But from my perspective, mm-hmm. and when we talk about companies, when companies just start with the lens of diversity, that is usually that panic, wild-eyed, I call it the, the diversity takeaway window, that, oh my God, um, find me, can you find me two women, a black person and a disabled person, maybe a neurodiverse person and an order of chips to go. And, you know, that feeling that you can hire your way out of this never works. It's so much more than recruitment, right? Yeah. It's if your culture is not right, even if you can hire them in, they don't stay. They bounce through and there's more damage on both sides. The best companies, the most effective way, approach it by let's look who and what we are first. Let's get our culture right first in Inclusion. Now, if you do that, that will begin to make sure that you have diversity. But that's, again, that's the foothills. If you want to do that and if you really want to transform your business, it's about then going on to equity, to equality of opportunity. So am I creating a place where people can come in the room? Am I making sure that I'm getting everyone in the room who is different from me? But then am I making sure that they have a voice? Can I make sure that I'm letting them bring their whole selves? Not as too often, you know, we, we've seen so often where companies say, look, we got our three women, but the way those women survive is they have to act like blokes. That's not Mm -hmm. diversity and inclusion. This is that inclusion equity is do they have voice? Can they bring their difference to who and what they are in an honest and transparent way? 
That's where the rocket fuel comes. That's where the transformation. And, you know, we know from the business case, that's where you get great innovation. That's where you can retain people, grow people, get great products and services. So for the last seven years, you've been CEO of the Tech Talent Charter. Tell us about it. What is its purpose? How does it work? And and, and I guess more important, well, equally as importantly, how can organizations of all sizes get involved? I think some, some key things to think about for the charter is we're not for profit. All right. And people will say to that, you know, because behind the scenes, um, we're six to seven people at any given time running this organization with 700 organizations. So our role is to bring together the whole ecosystem. So it is free for companies to join. And people always go, really, is it free? No, it's free. It's absolutely free to join the Tech Talent Charter. Companies, when they join, are part of the ecosystem. So I have employers of tech. So yes, I have Microsoft and I have Cisco and I have Salesforce, but I've got Lloyds Bank. I have uh, Sky TV. I have Cancer Research UK. I have Domino's Pizza. I have SMEs. I have startups. And it's not just the London bubble. These are companies from across the UK. But where it's interesting is we also have what I consider our suppliers into the space. So we have consultants, we have training providers, um, we have recruiters. You and I both know there are recruiters and there are recruiters and some are part of the problem and some are part of the solution. I've got some great recruiters who are trying to do this differently. We have then those organizations who interact with less represented groups. So we have code first girls we have black women who code um, we've got the british computing society we have government departments anyone who has a vested interest and the great thing is we absolutely remember i said i was tired of talking about the problem if you join the tech talent charter you are never going to hear us just focusing on the problem and wringing our hands this is about talking about what works this is a real deep focus on the practical and our companies come really honestly and wanting to collaborate so you will hear big name companies, the Bank of England, HP, who will be willing to talk about, well, this is what we did. And this is what didn't work. This is what we haven't figured out, but this is what we have learned. And there's that willingness to collaborate. What's great is because the whole pipeline is broken. And if you, if you really understand that, then you have to accept that treating something like if you figure out an amazing way of changing culture or recruiting or promoting and treat it like a trade secret, you know, all you're doing then is investing in a really expensive fishing rod and going to the same leaky barrel everyone else is. So this is companies who are willing to collaborate, to share ideas, because we've got to change the shape of the barrel. We've got to change the whole pipeline. And so companies do that. And what I pride myself on is, you know, we are not the font of knowledge. We are not the sole expert. We convene. We connect. We amplify. And so if you came to me, Ben, and you were saying, you know what, Debbie, you've got to fix what's happening in schools. I would say, Ben, you're absolutely right. Let me introduce you to Tech She Can. Or Debbie, you know, this is universities. Universities broke. And I would say, super. Let's me, let me introduce you to, to our members of the Institute of Coding who are working across universities. We connect the dots. And we make no apologies for preaching to the choir. You know, this is where the choir come. So joining is easy. Um, you know, companies can join a session. We have a session where we explain what this means, but you're committing to having a senior signatory. You're committing that you're going to have a plan. You're committing that you're going to collaborate and share best practice and that you're going to share data. And that's the other piece. You know, each year, everybody in the tech talent chatter hates me in September. Okay. 
because that's data collection. Data collection. <laughs> I come knocking on the door to say it's time to share that data. Because if you do, you're in and you're in for the year for mm -hmm. free. And if you don't, I smile and I kick you out. So each year since we started, and it's every year it's really painful because you get to 730 and you know you're going to have to kick people out. And each year we kick between 10 and 15% of our signatories out for not submitting data. But we know data is the heart of what goes forward and drives this. And it is that price of admission. So I, what my team joke about, I strap on my grumpy boots at the end of every September and go knocking at the door saying, I will kick you out. It's the, I guess for, the, for yourselves, for Tech Talent Channel, that's the cost of credibility, right? Absolutely. You need to be Absolutely. a credible organization. People need to provide their data. And if that's what they're signing up for, then you have to hold them to account for that. It's funny when I'm, when I'm getting companies to join, they love that idea and they go, that's impressive. You know, I, I respect you. Now come September into September, they're like, Oh God, she really is going to kick us out. I'm not sure I'm so fond of that rule, but it's, <laughs> it means, you know, I think if you join the tech talent charter, that collaboration, that sharing of data gives us a really powerful free toolkit. So companies can come and they can look at our open playbook. And so if you want to figure out how to change your culture, how do we become better allies to our black employees? How can I set up an effective apprenticeship scheme? Our open playbook has examples from companies. So it's really practical. Our data turns into our annual report and benchmarking tools. So, you know, Companies are getting better at having their own data, but other than comparing historically, what does that mean? Yeah. We have benchmarking tools that means companies, when they join, can compare themselves inside. It's all anonymized and aggregated. And to compare themselves against companies of their sector, their size, to understand where they're ahead of the game or behind the game. You know, when we do this, we're a small organization, but I, I describe it as we're not the carrot, we're not the stick, we're the toolkit. And so... We're equipping companies to work together, to learn from each other, to really change the sector. And I, lo I love the fact that you've, you, you involve organizations from across the whole tech ecosystem. So, there, you know, it's not just focused on concentrated on one area. I love the fact that it's about um, sharing rather than reinventing the wheel. So if somebody's, you know, solved that problem over here. Let's share it over here so we can do it. And I just wanted, there was something else I picked up on in a previous conversation that, that it's that we need to focus on not finding enemies, but identifying alliances. Or I think you chose better words than that, but it, the premise is that. It's that shifting. I think what often you can have in the for good space is we can come at it from a for-profit mindset is what's the competitive landscape? Where in fact, you know, we wanted to from our earliest days to say, how do we make this an ecosystem? and collaboration because bottom line is there's plenty to do and and not enough time and not enough money so why don't we and i love when my companies that aha moment where they say you know you and i ben if we were in yorkshire and we're talking about things if we both share ideas it may mean that you hire them first but after a few years they come to work for me it's that sense of we all win. If we can move this forward, if we can change this, if we can change the sector, everybody wins. And what is it? A rising tide lifts all boats. Someone on my team, Lexi, often talks about that. And so this is companies who get it, who get that this is smart business, and who get that the only way we change it is if we work together. Hopefully, some of the other trends, the wider trends in tech and business will will play to this as well. I mean, most of the tech companies are co-creating, collaborating, partnering on like building alliances to deliver solutions to, to customers, right? So it only 
if you're doing that over there, then why would you not do that in every other area of your business? I think we've got much more chance of being able to achieve this than a lot of other sectors for three reasons. One is because there's just not enough talent. All right. So, so when we talk about diversity inclusion, it's not a zero sum game. It's not, you know, white middle class cis man badge, everyone else good. And therefore I'm going to, I'm going to fire all the white men. It, there's just not enough people. So it's a joint solution within tech and room for everyone. The second thing is, as you said, tech is quite smart at learning that there are times and places and ways to collaborate where everyone wins. And the third thing is, you know, the companies, it's interesting what you were talking about before, learning from each other. Tech is more comfortable with innovation and the fact that innovation is messy. What I love when we do our events I joke about that there's size envy because my little companies look at the big companies like, oh, if I only had the money and a big DNI department, I can do that. And my big companies say, oh God, if I only had a hundred people, I could wrap my arms around that and fix it. And so there's that cross collaboration, but for the big companies, the great aha moment is we have to think like a startup. Corporate quite often is much more used to and comfortable with, we shall find the perfect policy and we shall announce it on the 3rd of July and it shall trickle down perfectly. Whereas for, for real innovation and to really make a difference on inclusion and diversity in good time, this is about starting small, innovating, messing up, cleaning it up, pivoting, and then cascading across. So the big techs, as we see all through tech in all factors, the, when they think like a startup, they're at their best. So I guess, where do organizations go? Where do individuals go to, to get involved? You go to techtalentcharter.co.uk. There's the information that you need. It'll tell you who we are, what we are. There's a downloadable resource. So you can have a deck to show and go ex- um, to, to find out more. You can sign up for a session where I can talk to you about what the ins and outs are. And you can go through the, oh my God, what do you mean data? What does that mean? We can walk you through that. <laughs> and then signing up is ridiculously easy if you get the sign off. And I think the hard part is, is not signing up for us. It's getting that internal buy-in. And you do have to get that sign off at the top. They have to get it at the top table. This is why we share data. This is why we're going after diversity and inclusion. But we we ask for four contact points, a senior signatory, a principal day-to-day contact, someone for data, because remember, they're going to hate me, and, and somebody on PR, could, because being part of the charter, there's some great opportunity for, for good PR. We get some information and then we onboard you. It is just that simple. And then you're in that journey. And as long as every year you give me my data in September, it's it's your ticket to the all-you-can-eat buffet. You get as involved as you need to be. It's not a set menu. Some companies come in and get really involved, sponsoring events for us, coming to events, sharing things with the open playbook. Others start more slowly. They just want to they want to consume. I want to hear a few things. I want to use your report. I want to use your open playbook. But it's horses for courses, because I think the other thing about the charter is we have companies at every stage of the journey. We've got some companies who are newly woke and terrified and want to figure out what to do. We've got some companies that are doing it as on the journey. And then we, the great thing is we've got companies that have been doing this for 10 or 15 years and have some fantastic insights to share. But nobody has said to me yet, you know what, Debbie, here's all the answers. Here's the answers to the exam question. This is what we do. Everybody is trying to figure out and broaden it because this isn't just women in tech, is it? This is looking across all of the lenses. And I love hearing how companies are really digging in deep to think about how are we more inclusive for neurodiverse people? How are we 
removing the barriers for our LGBTQI+. How are we looking at retraining schemes? You know, a lot of people out of the jobs. How can we use apprenticeships, boot camps, all the different programs to bring in people from those side doors or retrain internally? You know, I've got a lot of people that might be heading out the door or might I might have to get rid of, but they know my company. They know my product. How could I retrain them to bring them in? So it's a job I don't think that'll ever be done, but it's a job that we also, we would love to work ourselves out of a job. Each year we've said, if we're doing the same thing five years time, we failed. And so the horizon keeps moving ahead. We keep going after it. The numbers go, but there's still so much to be done. And, you know, with every, I talk about never waste a good crisis, but also never underestimate that there's a new crisis. COVID threw open some doors for inclusion diversity. It proved things like, yes, people actually can work from home. People can work flexibly, but it also has driven people back to first principles and old ways of thinking. So it's nothing that we can get complacent about. Every year is a new year in inclusion and diversity. And there'll be unforeseen events and, and situations Absolutely. and groups. And pushback and pushback. I think there's I think there's something we always need to know. We need to take people with us. We've seen, haven't we, in the news where in certain companies there's been this blow up from represented people feeling threatened. And so I think one of the powerful things, you know, we said from the earliest days when we first just focused on gender, if all we're doing is talking to a room of women, we've not got this right. The men have a role and where men have seen they can be allies, they can be champions. And actually, if you get the culture right, if you get inclusion right, men win too. This is a win for everyone. And, you know, I love when we would talk about things like family flexible working and when we would talk about those sorts of things, the women nod openly and the men come up to you quietly and say, whisper, yeah, that'd be really great. We could never do that in my company as a man. So, so it is that sense of, this is a problem we've all been a part of. This is something we all have to be part of a solution. And if we do it, we all win. You know, managers will have better teams. Companies will have better products. And everyone can be happier and healthier at work. But it takes hard work. And it takes joined up thinking and partnerships with everyone. We need allies. We need champions. And we need to be allies and champions. I'm a white woman of privilege. I'm a white cis woman of privilege. So I need to be on the journey to understand how am I an ally to black colleagues? What am I doing to be really inclusive with LGBTQI+. I'm on a journey of trying to learn to understand what does neurodiversity mean? How can I make that easier, not harder? for people who who are neurodiverse in that respect. There's this idea that we all need to be comfortable with having these uncomfortable discussions, right? And that's it. And that's at the heart of it. And when we can get comfortable with being uncomfortable and when we can understand, nobody has all the answers. Um, I, I was at an event um, with Lloyds Bank that was looking at LGBTQI+. And someone on the panel I love said, you know, what's the first thing you can do in becoming a great ally or champion was learn how to apologize well, because you're going to get it wrong and learn to accept that and how to put it right as quickly as possible, not make it about you. That's that first step. And so I have got it wrong. You know, I've misgendered people. I've said things that I look back and think, oh God, I'm sorry. You know, so it's, it's that being willing to learn that, that makes it exciting and makes it interesting. I just want to move on to talking about XTech because we are delighted that you're going to be a new host for XTech. I guess the starting point for this is 
What was it that piqued your interest? I loved the idea. So, so I am in tech and I work with a lot of tech companies and I love the opportunity to start talking to people who have great products, great services, great ideas, great innovations. I'm, I'm snoopy. I'm nosy. I want to understand the why. I, this is a great opportunity to start talking to people to understand how did that happen? You know, I'm always reading about this new product, this new company, but I'd love to understand how did they come up with that idea? What did they do? And uh, we're at such an interesting point in technology because it is now just a tool. And my God, we can use a tool in a lot of different ways. And I think what'll be interesting is to go from that theoretical, what is quantum computing? What is AI? To how can I make it work in my company? How did you come up with that idea? It's always about great ideas, problem solving and people. And so, you know, the guests that, that we're getting lined up, I've got a thousand questions to find out how did they get where they're going? How did they have that idea? What didn't work? And, and to really try and get some practical insights on how I, how anyone could use that thinking, that idea to build on in our own companies and our own products and our own services. I think, it, yeah, it's fascinating. I mean, it's such a vast world, right, as well. So um, all, all the different aspects and facets of it and um, all the catalysts for all of the solutions and all the organizations and the tech that comes. What's the starting point? It's fascinating. What I love, you've got that I've got a a restless imagination. I like knowing lots of different things. And, you know, if we have that golden thread of tech, that gets me into every room, doesn't it? We can, we can be talking about (laughs) just about every sector, every kind of thing, because it's tech. And, but it is, it's problem solving. And I love a cunning plan and, and to hear how people are finding those and think about how, you know, we could do that, how we might, you know, when we're young, didn't we all kind of want to be inventors? Didn't we all want to be that person that was the creator of something? Tech is a set of tools that means any of us could invent something, could could come up and create something interesting and different. And I think this is a great time where that's happening just about everywhere, every sector. You will have some amazing perspectives to bring along to those discussions and the conversations. Final question. And unplanned, so I apologize. <laughs> she says um, now nervously sipping her tea. <laughs> really? Okay, we'll put it in the context of X-Tech. Um, one, two, three dream guests that you'd love to speak to. And they don't have to be individuals. They could be organizations or people with different perspectives. My dream guest will be the guest I haven't thought of yet. What I'm already doing now, I have this lovely opportunity of every time I'm reading the news, every time I'm reading the different magazines and stuff, I'm starting to drop down. Oh, I'd love to talk to them. Oh, I'd love to think. I want to understand. I want to see some real use cases for Web3. I got to say, I look at things on Web3 and I think, mm, you know, they've tried it with Google Glasses. They've tried it with those things. What does that mean? I want to see some powerful ways. I'm tired of the horror stories. I want to hear some really interesting examples on on concrete ways on how people are using AI in a really different way. I want to understand, I think we've got a lot of terrible, terrible stories on how tech and social media, etc., is hurting people's mental health. But I also know there's some powerful stories on how people are using tech to build people up, to, to support mental health, to, to help people. So I want some good news stories there and I want to know how they did it. And for me, it's less a dream guest. I think what's happening in tech is fewer revolutions, more 
evolutions. I want to start hearing how company A and company B came up with an idea with something from company C and made something. I want to hear the magic, the aha moments of, oh my God, I'd never thought about that. That's really, to me, the great guests are probably people I haven't heard of yet. That's where I want. I want the stories. I want to feel like I got to hear this and I had never heard of that before. And that's amazing. That's really interesting. I think we're in for some fascinating conversations. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> Debbie, thanks for your time today. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much. It's really been great and it's going to be an exciting journey, Ben. You can join us on our journey by following along with the podcast. We've got amazing guests lined up from the world of global tech. So make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We'd love to receive your thoughts on what you've heard. Or if you'd like to be a guest on the show, drop us an email at xtech at fox.agency. A special mention to the people that make this show possible. Zoe Woodward, our executive producer, Hannah Teasdale, our podcast producer, and the whole team of tech experts at Fox Agency. I'm Ben Fox, and you've been listening to Xtech from Fox Agency. Keep exploring the world of tech. Subscribe to our podcast and never miss an episode. To discover more opportunities for global B2B tech brands, visit fox.agency today.